Welcome, everyone, to episode 224 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Shelton. On this week's episode, we have officially said goodbye to 2022. We are full sights on forward in the future. What is coming in 2023? Scott will be talking and counting down our top five most anticipated films of the year. It's a tradition. We love doing it. But before we get to that, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, Scott. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's exciting times. Um, we always look forward to making these lists and uh, filling them with movies that don't ever come out in the year that yep. we we place them on. So, exactly. um, if you're if you're if you're a betting person and you know you take bets on whether or not certain movies are going to come out, um, all the movies that we're going to name tonight, I would place a sizable wager that yeah, it's not going to work out because yeah, I mean my number one last year, Killers of the Flower Moon did not come out and i feel like that was a movie that we, we felt pretty good about no, yeah, yeah there was no yeah. concern at all when we were talked about it as you know uh, that it might not come out you know it was going to be a big oscar play and it didn't happen now it's you know middle of the year i think can premiere right um so that's right um, yeah it's uh it's not not really what we thought but it is coming out maybe we think possibly yeah there's there's no chance it comes out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's crazy that we live in a world now where we have to say this, you know, be so skeptical and uncertain about a Martin Scorsese film coming out. But um, it is what it is, I suppose. Whenever it does come out, I will be excited to watch it. But no, Scott, I have tried to be a little more intentional with my choices this year. Um, I don't know. Maybe I say that every year you can go back and make a super cut of, of past years. Maybe of me saying that, but, um, and pick movies where I, in the, there are nine films out of my 10 that I feel reasonably good about coming out. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, I can yeah. tell you really believe me, but yeah. No, I mean, look, no, I, I believe that we feel good about these movies coming yeah, out. Yeah. I don't sure. believe that that confidence translates to results. Sure, um, yeah. Because if we just were to, we were making this joke up before we started recording, Killers of the Flower Moon, one of the films that makes up the list of top top five movies that are coming out this year that we've already talked about in the past on past year's lists. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, one of them. Right. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part one. One of them for me in past years as well. The Spider-Man movie, the, the first one across the Spider-Verse. Also guilty of that. There's a few others as well. I don't know if you want to highlight anymore, but we, we have a, a full catalog. Some of which even we talked about in the in the 2021 most anticipated movies list. So that's that's where we're at right now. Yeah, I mean, David Fincher's The Killer is one that I mentioned last year. Poor Things, the Yorgos Lanthimos. Another one that was kind of a surprise that it got moved. Um, Maestro, the Bradley Cooper film. Who knows what's going on with that? Well, actually, it's going to be coming out pretty early this year, is it not? Um, that's that's going to be. I'm a not Netflix sure. It's it's release, it's, it's always it? hard to tell with Netflix. It is a Netflix film. Yeah, I'd be shocked if it came out early this year. If it comes out early this year, Scott, I, I should take it off. I should never have had it on my list to begin with, maybe, because uh, that's usually not a good yeah. sign for Netflix. Not really sure. I think maybe I heard that, but who knows? But then, and then the other one, which is kind of a guaranteed at this point, it seems, is Bo is Afraid, formerly known as Disappointment Boulevard. That's Ari Aster's new film that um, we have a trailer for it. And I believe it has like an April release date right now. So that's going to be one of the early releases for A24 this year. So that one, feel pretty confident. And we've, we've got all the signs that it's coming out, but 
um, yeah, who knows on some of these other ones? Yeah, who knows? I, I feel, I, I think similar to you, I feel pretty good about eight. Eight of my 10 movies coming out this year. There's one that I'd say, like, honestly, I have it on my list because for some reason on IMDb, it's listed as 2023, but it's just like, man, I think it's probably less than 50% chance this film comes yeah. out this year, but I could be wrong. Who knows? Um, I guess I'll stop the teasing there, but uh, we live in a Twilight world, Scott. To, to allude to a movie or a film's director that I'll be talking about later in the episode, we live in a Twilight world. That's all I'll say. Indeed we do. And with that, Scott, why don't we go ahead and, and get underway here this year? It might be a little bit different than we've done it in past years, but you're going to go through your five honorable mentions that you have. Then I'll do the same, and then we'll go back to our normal ping-ponging, five, four, three, two, one. Scott, what are your five honorable mentions for most anticipated movies of 2023? And now I'm realizing you set me up and I didn't say no friends at dusk. So I apologize. It's fine. Um, it's we can move on. It's all good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's been a minute, you know, 2020 was a weird time. Uh, when, you know, Scott, when if you want to, if you want to revisit tenant and rewatch it with us, with me virtually, I'm more than happy to. The retenant. We'll do the retenant. Yeah. Um, sure. The okay, retenant. My... It's got to be retenator. It has to remain yeah. parallel. So it's the retenator. Yeah. Right. Um, all right, Scott, I'll run through my honorable mentions here. So I'll start with the film. You know, I said nine out of 10, I feel decent about. I'll start with the one which I don't feel decent about. And that's because this movie doesn't even have a title yet. Um, sure. And that is what I'm referring to as untitled Ethan Cohen film. Um, we've talked about this a couple of times in our news sections, I think, Scott. But, um, you know, of course, Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers. Um, had his sort of solo film debut with uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth um, in 2021. And now his brother is going to be uh, having his own solo directorial, you know, debut of sorts um, with this film, Untitled Ethan Cohen Project. Um, the only things we know about this movie at this point are the brief plot des description, which referred to it as like a lesbian road trip film, I believe was the description of it. Um, and it appears that the title, you know, uh, lesbians in question are going to be uh, Margaret Qualley and uh, Geraldine Viswanathan, who have both been cast in this film, both strong actresses. You know, Geraldine Viswanathan is somebody who unfortunately has gotten sidelined in some sort of, um, throwaway supporting roles. I mean, recently we just watched her in Cat Person, what, like one of the ultimate throwaway roles. Uh, we certainly did watch there. her in that film. Yeah. But she has a lot of star power, I think. Uh, we saw, you know, that from like Bad Education was kind of the first time I believe we, we sort of saw her in anything. She did The Broken Hearts Gallery, right. a few other films. But um, yeah, hopefully this could be a big, big movie for her. And then Margaret Qualley, I've talked um, about how I'm a fan of her a lot. I mentioned her on the awards episode as well, but I think she has such an interesting screen presence, something that's just very different from a lot of her contemporaries. Actually reminds me of Kristen Stewart a little bit. I was watching Clouds of Sils Maria the other day, and I was like, this sort of like off-kilter energy that Kristen Stewart gives me a lot of movies, um, that's like the closest thing I can compare to what Margaret Qualley is doing. So um I mean, huge fans of, of both of those people. So whenever this comes out, 2023 or beyond, I will be anticipating it. Uh, Scott, next up I have Silent Night. Um, this is the first, um, yet, you know, I don't mention genre films a lot of times when we, when we go on here. But look, I'm a fan. I had, you know, 
a bunch of blockbusters in my top 20. I had Ambulance right in uh, coming in in my top 20, uh, you know, just straightforward action movie. Well, maybe not straightforward, but an action movie nonetheless. Um, <laughs> so when an action movie gets it right, I'm a fan. I just think nowadays I don't necessarily vibe with a lot of the trends in current action movies. And that's why you don't hear me talk about them a lot. But Silent Night is an action movie. It's from the godfather of Hong Kong action, John Woo. It is his first American film in about 15 years or so, I believe, since Paycheck, I think, might have been the last one that he did in the early 2000s, Ben Affleck movie. Um, but, um, of course, you know, he he got his start in Hong Kong action movies, like I said, with Hard Boiled and, uh, and films like that, um, and then came to America, Broken Arrow, Face Off, Mission Impossible 2, you know, made a lot of big films in the late 90s and early 2000s. He's back with this movie. It's a revenge thriller starring Joel Kinnaman um, of, you know, the Suicide Squad, RoboCop cop fame. Um, and the most interesting thing about this film, Scott, is it's going to not have any dialogue in it. You know, the title Silent Night, um, it tells the whole story there. It's, there's not going to be any lines of dialogue in it. Obviously, John Woo is known for his action choreography, so that those set pieces are going to tell most of the story. Um, but still, it's an interesting experiment. If there's somebody that I trust to pull it off, I think it's John Woo. And right now, this is looking like it's going to be a Christmas time release again. It's kind of the title alluding to that. So um, very interested to see what, what this one turns out to be. Next Do you think it's a good pairing with Violent Night? Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a good question. I never saw Violent Night. Didn't really seem exactly like my sort of thing. Um, I would be surprised if it has sort of the, the inventiveness that I would expect from a John Woo film. But who knows? You know, the puns the pun is there at least. More slow mo in the Silent Night film, probably. I I'd say that's probably a safe bet with uh, with John Woo involved. Uh, Scott, next up I have La Grande Odalisque. This is a French film uh, directed by the actress Melanie Laurent. Um, of course, her, she is most known for um, her role as Shoshana Dreyfus in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, but also appeared in other films. Um, she was in Denis Villeneuve's Enemy. I really loved her in um, Beginners, the Mike Mills um, film with her and Ewan McGregor and Christopher Plummer. Um, but in, in recent years has focused more on being a director. Um, I only saw her directorial debut. I believe it's called Breathe or something like that. Um, it wasn't it, it wasn't overly impressed with that movie, but um, I'm definitely a fan of her as an actress and she is going to be starring in this film. Um, Scott, I, when I was reading about this movie, apparently somebody, I don't know if it was her or somebody else, did reference Mission Impossible um, in the description of this movie. Now, it's not going to have that sort of budget or, you know, level of, of stunt work probably, but, um, you know, maybe it's going to be more like the original Mission Impossible film, right? The Brian sure. De Palma, the more espionage centered film. Nevertheless, it is going to be a sort of espionage thriller, maybe some comedy thrown in um, about sure. two thieves and best friends um, who go on, you know, who go to do their one last job. Um and it seems that the, the friends are going to be played by Melanie Laurent, again, the director of the film, and Adele X. Garchopoulos, who um, is having a little bit of a comeback. Um, of course, she um, was most known for 
playing alongside Leia Sedu in the, the French language film Blue is the Warmest Color back in the early 2010s. Hasn't taken off like Leia Sedu obviously has in the last few years, but she is going to be in a couple of films. She was just in Passages, which is that film that played at Sundance that got a lot of good um, reviews. I believe Sean Fennessy said it was his favorite movie from Sundance. But um, So she was in just in that, and now she's going to be in the Grand Odalisque just seems like a lot of cool pieces here in this film. Isabella Johnny is also in the cast, legendary actress from Possession and some other films. I'm not sure what kind of role that role she is going to play in the movie, but um, cool to see her name popping up. A lot of interesting pieces here. Hopefully they all come together. I'm not sure what we're looking at, Scott, as far as the release on this one. It is actually going to be a Netflix film. Um, so I think we have a general idea of their slate, but I'm not sure if this one was on there yet. Um, they did put out, you know, their, their schedule for the year, but there were also still some titles that were missing from that, some of their bigger films. So I don't know if, um, if this one has a date on it yet. It doesn't seem that it does, but La Grande Odalisque, looking forward to that one. Um, two more films, Scott. The Royal Hotel is the next one. This is the latest film from the Australian director, Kitty Green. Um, you'll remember perhaps her film from 2020, the COVID year, um, called The Assistant, which I really enjoyed. I think it's still one of the best films about Me Too that's been released. Um, loved her sort of restrained approach to directing in that film starring Julia Garner. Um, and this is going to be her, her second feature and it is a thriller um, once again starring Julia Garner um, and Jessica Hennick who we have seen popping up in a lot of stuff recently she was just in um, Knives Out or Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery obviously she played Peg um, she was in The Matrix Resurrections um, so she's making a bit of a name for herself but um, they're going to play these two friends um, who are on holiday at a hotel I think I believe it's set in Australia and they end up trapped in some sort of, you know, mind games manipulation with un unnamed villains. But it seems, looking at the cast, that there are two possible contenders for the villains here. Those being uh, the Australian duo of Hugo Weaving, who of course has played villains before, and of uh, Toby Wallace, um, who also played quite a villain in a show that we enjoyed, Scott, The Society. But um, two good Australian actors, obviously. So they're going to star alongside Julia Garner and Jessica Henwick here. Um, he was also in Baby Teeth, right? Toby he Wallace. was, yeah, yeah, alongside Eliza Scanlon. Um, but yeah, Kitty Green, very interesting director. Hopefully she doesn't hit the sophomore slump here, but I really like The Assistant a lot. I'm excited that she's teaming with Julia Garner again. And uh, seems like it could be some sort of, you know, outback thriller, right, where somebody is stranded out there i just watched an old australian film called wake and fright which is one of the most deranged uh versions of this sort of genre where some guy from another part of australia ends up getting stuck in the outback and um endures all number of horrors including kangaroo hunting uh very crazy film but um they actually followed real kangaroo hunters and uh, and so you see kangaroos getting killed in the movie but there you go wake and fright not necessarily a recommendation, what? but yeah, oh no, it's goodness. legit. Look it up. <laughs> anyway, The Royal Hotel, I don't think will feature any kangaroo murder and uh, should be a, a good film. But yeah, that last would be so film. out of pocket if it did. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it really would. Um, last film, Scott, uh, on my honorable mentions list is May, December. Um, 
This is the latest film from the indie film legend Todd Haynes, um, make, who's been making films for over 25, 30 years. Um, most recently has made things like Carol, Wonderstruck, Dark Waters, um, some films that I'm a fan of. You know, his early work includes like um, Far From Heaven and Safe. Um, but here he is coming back with a romance film starring Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore. I think we reported on this one, Scott, when it was originally cast. But um, this film is going to be about a married couple with a large age disparity. Again, this is indicated by the title, May, December, um, who had a sort of a, a whirlwind tabloid romance sometime earlier. And an actress shows up to research, um, you know, a, a film about that's going to be made about the couple. Um, so it's unclear exactly who is playing who in this film. You know, again, that there is an indication that the married couple has a large age disparity. So my guess would be that Julianne Moore is going to play alongside Charles Melton, who appears to be the male lead in this film, obviously from Riverdale, much younger actor. So that would be my guess. And then. Um, Natalie Portman, perhaps playing the actress who was doing the research. Um, but those three are going to play in to, to this equation somehow. Um, but yeah, Todd Haynes, love his work. You know, like I said, he's kind of a legend of American independent film. Um, I'm interested in anything that he does. Um, and this movie seems like it, it could have a lot of interesting things going on, you know, meta layers. And I mentioned Clouds of Sils Maria earlier, like, you know, some maybe some similarities there in terms of, you know, you're researching a film about, you know, some a role you played in your past kind of um, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, a lot, lot of uh, interesting things that could be explored here by by Todd Haynes and a great cast, uh, of course, with with those two actresses at the top of the bill. So looking forward to this one. Um, and I'm not sure who is distributing it, but um, possibly an Oscar contender, you know, um, Carol was, and in a just world, Dark Waters would have been, but I think Focus Features screwed some stuff up on that. But um, anyway, uh, May, December, uh, looking forward to that one. And those are my top five. Oh, or your my, five honorable mentions. My top five honorable mentions, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was your top five done. Okay, cool. So the rest of the movies you're talking <laughs> about, it's actually episode, your least, yeah. least anticipated movies of the year. It's right. coming up the last, yeah. Cool. No, I mean, those are exciting films. I think you did a better job than I will have done on mining things that our listeners either may have forgotten or haven't heard of, because I'm going to knock out some, I think, really obvious ones that I'm excited about, but didn't necessarily want to put is, my top I feel five. like this is always how it goes on these episodes, but yeah. It's, it's also why, generally speaking, your movies end up typically getting pushed further, because yeah. they're, like, frankly, I haven't heard of some of these movies, because, like, they're sure. definitely not firm on release date. I think some of these are probably more safer bets than others i mean you're talking the top like you think that all all except the ethan cohen film you think are going to come out we'll see i mean we'll see yeah we'll see how it develops I, I think that's fair after talking about them that's probably fair i, I think the the that may december is going to come out and i do think that the melanie laurent film will probably come out um with the netflix yeah. label on it and then you know again the john woo it seems like it's trying to be a christmas release but we'll see yeah, I mean, look, we said that about Maestro last year, and then Netflix didn't release it, so we we'll, did. we'll see. That is true. Yeah, 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 we'll see. So, kicking things off on my honorable mentions, a movie that that would be really surprised if it did not come out because it already has technically debuted at the Sundance Film Festival. It's Landscape with Invisible Hand. It's Corey Finley's third feature-length film. Obviously, we've I think we've covered both of his previous two movies in the form of 
thoroughbreds. I guess not thorough. The, the thoroughbreds started came out before we started the podcast, didn't it? I guess no. We, that uh, was a 2017 film, wasn't it? It was 2018. We we talked about. Oh, okay. It. I don't I don't know if we did a full review, but we definitely talked about it. Got it. Okay. Well, thoroughbreds was his first film. Olivia Cook and Andy Taylor Joy, there. Um, obviously, both of those those actresses have gone on to do bigger things since then. But he worked with them very early on. And then Bad Education, which was a Hugh Jackman film. You already mentioned it with Geraldine Viswanathan in the supporting role in that film as well. And yeah, it's his new film. It's a sci-fi film, so maybe a little bit different than what he's typically been working on. And, and it's a little bit out there in terms of concept. It's kind of set in the near future world in which an alien species known as the Vuv has taken over Earth. It stars Tiffany Haddish and Asante Black. And it has uh, several members of the supporting cast, include like Josh Hamilton, Michael Gandolfini, William Jackson Harper. So pretty decent, solid cast there. But I'm curious because I, I, you know, I was a big fan of both of those films, Thoroughbreds even more so than Bad Education. And I'm wondering, I always find it interesting when, when these sort of really, what I think of as like almost like microcosm storytellers, which I think Bad Education and Thoroughbreds are examples of really tight, small scale stories, try to expand out into like a genre film, like science fiction, um, which I think is very easy to sort of get out of hand very quickly and become very big in terms of scale. So I'm curious what he's able to do. It's reviews out of Sundance, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, were good, but not great, I think. So I'm curious uh, where, where this will go. Tiffany Haddish, I've, I'll say I'm mixed on in general. Um, some things she's been and I've been a fan of and others less so. But I think it's possible for her to turn in something that's, you know, really a really good performance. And I'm hoping that Corey Finley, I think he's shown some success in the past. I thought Hugh Jackman's performance in Bad Education was phenomenal. I thought he did an incredible job in that film. And I think that we both agree that Olivia Cook and Annie Taylor-Joy were, were fantastic and thoroughbred. So I think he has a proven track record of getting the best out of yeah. his performers. So I'm hoping he's able to do that with this. And yeah, so science fiction genre is something I'm interested in. I'll be curious to see what Corey Finley is able to do with it. The second one, I don't even know how much explainer I even need to do because if you haven't heard of this film by now, I don't know what you have, like how where you've been watching movies, but Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. I think the film is coming out um, like in a month month and a half i think end of march i think it got it got bumped towards the end of march um recently but it's coming out soon it is the dungeons and dragons um i don't want to say remake because it's not like remaking a previous film but it's the it's the new attempt to adapt that um that ip that franchise to the big screen it has a huge cast including and led by chris pine michelle rodriguez reggae john page justice smith sophia lillis Hugh Grant in it as well. So ensemble cast. It's directed by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, who I think their most recent work was, gosh, I think they they were writers on the Spider-Man Homecoming film. I think they did a couple a couple writing credits recently. I think they did their most recent film they directed was Game Night, I believe, which was a very popular comedy. I knew, I knew their the names. Yeah. Of 2018. Yeah, so I think they have writing credits on a couple other things like Spider-Man Homecoming. And I think they actually have a story credit on the Flash movie coming out this year, which is kind of scary. Um, but <laughs> we'll leave that aside for like now. Everyone probably has a story credit on that film. <laughs> That's probably true, actually. Yeah, but I I'm sort of just putting my faith in the fact the last thing they directed was Game Night, which I think isn't underrated at this point. I just think everyone calls it an underrated comedy of the last few years. So I don't know if it's actually underrated or not. No. But um, Game Night is a film that I enjoyed. I haven't revisited it, I'll, I'll be honest, but 
I'm interested. I'm a huge fan of Dungeons and Dragons. I play Dungeons and Dragons sometimes multiple times a week. I'm a huge follower of Critical Role, so it's very much in my wheelhouse. I think Chris Pine is like kind of perfectly cast in this. He's playing a bard, um, and I think just recently the the direction he's going with his performances and his career. I mean, the man is here to vibe, and I feel like the movie's going to be a big vibe. The trailers have been frankly good in my opinion, um, and I think if if they really are able to nail the mix of of genre um, filmmaking, so like fantasy fantasy with with just like people who play D&D are usually there just making jokes. I think that's like kind of the vibe of the film. And Scott, I know that might make you less attracted to it just because it's good. There's going to be a lot of jokes in it, but it's like kind of the appeal of D&D to a lot of people. So I think the fact that if they're able to do that correctly, it'll actually be something that it works in. Maybe not for everyone, but for me. To be quite honest, jokes or not, I am not the target audience for this movie at all. So go off. I say make whatever you want. uh, 170 minutes of jokes. Uh, dialed in for scott let's go um speaking of 170 minutes scott my next film uh today you messaged me that this film was going to be 170 minutes long and that is john wick chapter four and i was cackling when you sent me this message i was like oh my god i cannot believe they're doing it um i have no idea what's going on with the john wick franchise frankly like is this the last movie i don't even know doesn't matter john wick chapter four is the follow-up to chapter three parabellum i think was the name of that movie yeah back in 2019 obviously keanu reeves returning in the lead role here being directed again by chad stahelski so all the creatives (laughs) here really are still there i think they have a, a new set of writers maybe but you know, with, with Chad Stahelski, Keanu Reeves, like the core is, is there. Um, th- this is like the only, maybe this is like unfair, but like this feels like the only successful franchise that Lionsgate has right now. They lost Knives Out to Netflix. I think they ran Hunger Games into the ground. Like, I don't think anyone cares about that prequel movie that's coming out with the prequel book. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I'm just like way out of pocket saying that, but I just don't think anyone cares about that um, at this point. So I feel like they're really betting big on john wick and and i think that they have a lot right on this movie i'm frankly a little bit surprised they've let the runtime go that long but i'm not going to complain too much because i think stahelski and keanu reeves putting them together to work on this like we know from the last from the last movie especially but true across the entire franchise that the set pieces and choreography specifically in those set pieces are pretty much unparalleled in what they're able to do. Obviously there's other movies and other franchises with spectacular set pieces that thrill and entertain, but the choreography they able, they're able to inject a sense of, a sense of real, I guess, I don't know what like scale and um, kinetic energy into the movie. So I'm not too worried about that runtime, although I am a little bit surprised some standouts in the supporting cast got, cause it seems like they always have some fun cameos or fun, like minor roles. Rina Sawayama is sort of like probably the one that, that jumps off of the page. I don't know if, if people listening to our podcast care that much about Rina Sawayama, but it seems like just, it was so funny and so weird when this was announced. I, I mean, I know they had like Common or whoever in, in the second film <laughs> as well, but uh, maybe there's a lineage of this happening. But And, yeah. and you know, Mark Dacascos, uh, martial arts movie legend slash the host of Iron Chef, or uh, the the dude from Iron Chef was uh, like the main villain in the last movie. So that's true. Yeah, and I was gonna say I think um, is it there's there's Donnie Yen. I think Donnie Yen is this, is like it looks like he's gonna be the main villain in this one, maybe or one of the main villains. I don't know. 
Uh, Bill Skarsgård is like maybe also another major villain in the film. There's lots of lots going on. I mean, the trailers are like always terse because, you know, the John Wick whole thing is that he like it. Sometimes it's not even clear whether he can like put words together and speak English sometimes, I think, in the movies. But it just like kind of works. There's just something about that that just really works. Um, and I'm frankly thrilled. This is coming out on my birthday, pretty much. And uh, happy birthday to me is all I'll say. <laughs> yeah. The next one, shifting gears from action set piece franchises to Pixar, Elemental, the next Pixar film. Um, you know, it, it's been a it's been a soft run, I think, for Disney Animation recently. Um, Pixar obviously only one wing of that, but Lightyear was a huge miss, uh, just a colossal, colossal miss this past year. Um, Turning Red, I did enjoy, but I still think it's like probably it's not top tier Pixar for me. But we are getting Elemental, something that they've teased at this point. I think there's a teaser trailer out there for anyone who want, who's interested. It's being directed by Peter Sohn, who um, has a very interesting, I guess, like it's like filmography with Pixar. He's done a lot of their voice. I think he's actually done quite a few. He's voice a voice roles. actor, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say he's a voice actor. He did Emil and Ratatouille. I know that. That's where I rec- I had recognized him from. I think he's done other characters here and there as well. Oh, he played Socks in Lightyear, actually. Like the, like the, I, yeah, the that's, robot I knew animal. there was something big we were missing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he is set to, to sort of um, to direct this. I will say, and the reason why this doesn't make my top five list is for this reason, he directed The Good Dinosaur, which is like, you know, considered to be one of the worst Pixar movies. Um you know, I, I don't know. I, I think, I just think that this this film looks a lot like Inside Out, and I can't help but feel that I know Pete Doctor is not directing this because he just most recently directed Soul, which is not that long ago. Like I have to think Pete Doctor is like pretty involved with with this film. I mean, he is the head of the studio, to be fair, and so he's involved with everything in that extent. But I just got to feel <clears throat> some feeling that he's going to be creatively involved with this. I thought the animation style was pretty attractive when I saw the teaser, and so I'm just very hopeful that this ends up. Um, panning out and turning things around. I think this is more off of the animation style and sort of positioning as potentially hopefully a uh, return to form for Pixar than it is anything else. Um, We don't really know the cast of this film. I think the two people who are thought to be the leads and announced are Leia Lewis and Mamadou Athi. Um, Frankly, not familiar with either of these people. I have no idea who they are. So it'll be... There's no, they're not really resting yet unless they start announcing voice actors for this movie who are much more famous. They're not really resting on talent to deliver this. And, and in some ways that actually kind of excites me. I think that sometimes the best, the best work comes from things when you're not really going to see it because I don't know, Bill Murray was said it or something like that. I just feel like he's like one of those people who gets cast in voice, in voice roles because people recognize his voice, things like that. Um, but that's Elemental. And then my last one is a film called Challenger. Scott, I know this is one that you mentioned that you also interested in it's is luca guadagnino's next film it is starring zendaya mike faced and josh o'connor and it's a romantic sports comedy is the way the film is being positioned it is the wife uh or, or sort of the, the the premise of the film is that the wife and coach of a famous tennis player in the middle of a losing streak signs him up for a challenger event where they discover he will compete against his wife's former lover so the wife obviously or i shouldn't say obviously but it seems heavily implied the wife would be zendaya and then Mike faced what well, uh, I think is her husband and Josh O'Connor, the former lover. I believe it could be the other way around. Um, but I don't I don't really know if there's really much else to say about this. This is one that I'm I'm not 100% sure it's going to come out this year, if I'm being honest. But 
I think the the star power of Zendaya and then you combine that with what I think are two rising stars in, in the forms of Mike Faced and Josh O'Connor. Mike Faced, best known for his role in West Side Story, but also a Broadway actor. And then Josh O'Connor from his turn as Charles, Prince Charles in The Crown in seasons three and four. Probably what he's best known for. I think he won a couple Emmys for that performance. And I think that that there's a lot of potential when you combine that with the sort of touch and feel of Luca Guadagnino for these types of romantic films. Um, I think it'll be an interesting twist. It, it seems like a lot more, um, I wouldn't necessarily call his films comedies, I guess. And the fact no, that this is being positioned, say, yes. yeah, the yeah. fact that this is being positioned as a comedy feels like a bit of a genre spin for him. And I'm interested. I think that there's potential there. Um, so that's why it, it sneaks into my list as well. Yeah, I think that's that's something that I'm interested in too, and and very open to because his yeah his last few films have just been so intense. I mean, Bones yeah. and All was just yeah. like an overwhelming experience. I mean, it had a lot of good qualities to it, but sure. you know, it, I was just like, it was just a lot to take in. Um, and I I don't know if I always vibe with what he does in the way that other people seem to. So that's kind of why I left it out. Um, but enough. yeah, I mean, us, you know, set in the world of sports, which is interesting to me, great cast, excited to see yeah. Mike Feist doing something outside of the musical. Um, and, uh, and so I, it very easily could have made my list, but I left that one for you. Yeah. What's crazy, Scott, is if this ends up being a musical, I mean, they've got Zendaya who can obviously, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Josh O'Connor can sing or not, but maybe they turn this into a musical. You never know. Uh, no, it's I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Those are my five honorable mentions. If we pivot now, talking about our top five, Scott, kick us off. What is your number five most anticipated film of 2023? All right. My number five is Love Lies Bleeding. Uh, this is the new film from director Rose Glass, writer-director Rose Glass. Um, her directorial debut came just a couple of years ago with the horror film St. Maud. Um, really well-made a24 horror film i don't think you were you've seen that one yet scott but um well done uh well done film you know a promising debut not didn't blow me away but a solid four out of five star movie um but it seems like she's trying to up the ante with um with this next film it is going to be another film for a24 um it's billed as a romantic thriller um the um Brief description of the film states a romance fueled by ego, desire, and the American dream. Um, from another um, article I've read, I know that it's about um, someone who's in a relationship with, I believe, a bodybuilder. Um, I believe the bodybuilder is going to be played by Dave Franco, and the um, lead of the film is going to be Kristen Stewart. Um, Kristen Stewart is the lead of the film. We do know that. Um, just looking at the rest of the cast, my guess Dave, would be that Dave Franco playing a bodybuilder is okay. Interesting. Well, it's either going to be him or Jenna Malone. So it, those are probably the, the, the two, um, All right. the two options. Kristen Stewart will play the protective lover of a bodybuilder. So, um, I don't know much about the world of bodybuilding. Not sure if that's something that I'm that interested in finding out about, but with, uh, you know, the combination of Rose Glass, a really interesting up and coming director, you got a 24 stamp on this. And you have one of my favorite actresses with Kristen Stewart starting starring in the lead role. Um, it has this sort of like epic American romance type feel to it that I think could be um, pretty awesome if done correctly. Also, Ed Harris is in the film. It's always Ed Harris. We got a shout out 
shout out to Ed, but um, yeah, yeah, so really interesting sounding film. Um, this one just kind of snuck in a little bit. Again, I would put it sort of in the camp with um, with something like um, the Royal Hotel, which I mentioned of like a second feature from a director who I you know really enjoyed their first movie a lot, and now it, they're they're trying to do something bigger scale. It seems, and we'll see if if they can pull it off or if they hit a sophomore slump. But um, Rose Glass certainly has some really good pieces here. Yeah, it could be an interesting pairing with Magazine Dream, Scott, if you're looking to get into the world of bodybuilding, you can uh, check out that show piece as well. That's true, yeah. But no, I can't say uh, um, that's a world I want to dive deep on, but yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll uh, discover something interesting about it from these films. I would certainly hope so. Yeah, maybe you will. My number five, Scott, I don't know if uh, this person will have a sophomore slump when they're making this film or not, but... Does the uh, the name Michael Mann mean anything to you? Um, I've heard that I've heard a few facts about him in the past. A few Michael Mann facts, as in fact. But um, yeah. yeah, well, Sounds like I'll, I'll, drop, I'll drop a Michael Mann fact on you right now, Scott. He's making a new film, and it's called Ferrari. Just called Ferrari. That's it. God bless. Yeah, um, it's you know, Scott. In some circles, namely. Um, my my girlfriends and her friends think that I hate biopics mainly because I tell them how awful <laughs> things like Bohemian Rhapsody and musical Rocket, biopics, yes. Ra Rocket Man and musical biopics are. Um, but I'll have them know that number five on my list is Ferrari, which is a biographical drama film directed and written by Michael Mann about the life, or at least some portion of the life, of Enzo Ferrari, who will be played, of course. I mean, I say, of course, just because he's of played course. an Italian. He's played an the Italian The great Italian actor mogul. of our time. <laughs> he's played an Italian Marcello mogul Mastroianni. already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's played an Italian mogul already when he played, um, I don't remember his first name. What is Gucci's, the Gucci's first name that he played? Paolo? I don't remember. Or no, that was, that was Jared Paolo. Paolo's he didn't play Paolo. Yeah. That was Jared Leto. That was Jared Leto, um, yeah. I don't remember the the knows, main yeah. Gucci. <laughs> I know this is so bad. He was the house um, in House of Gucci. He was he was House Gucci, correct? Uh, that is Adam Driver, of course. Adam Driver will be playing Enzo Ferrari, and the film is going to follow the life of the Italian driver and entrepreneur Enzo Ferrari, specifically, I think, in the period of time around 1957, as he deals with family problems. I don't think he had any of those in House of Gucci, um, while also preparing for the 1957 mile or mile miglia so seems to be a very focused period piece around this very specific point in time sounds a lot frankly um unsurprisingly evokes some ford versus ferrari vibes not in this sort of contest in, in the driving space but the fact that it's this sort of biographical drama about this very specific point in time centered around cars etc uh adam driver is leading the cast but penelope Coo penelope cruz excuse me shailene woodley and uh, a few other people as well round out the rest of this cast got michael mann um just to go back on him he hasn't really made a film in a in a minute i, I know you it's it's a minute since you'd heard of him but black hat was the last film he made time to hack 2015 yeah exactly um and so it's been almost you know it's been eight or nine years since his last film was released he did make and create direct whatever the first episode of tokyo vice an HBO Max original, which as time last time I checked, has not been removed from HBO Max yet. 
Um, although who knows if it's next on the chopping block or not. I believe his yeah. other series that he did the pilot for the luck, which was that horse racing series. I want to say that actually was removed from HBO max, but anyway, that's, <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Was that an HBO max show? Interesting. Yeah, it was, it was an HBO show. I, there was something controversial about, they like maybe killed a horse or something in the production. Of this <laughs> movie, so, yeah. No. Or uh, series. So it had oh Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. I don't know that much about it, but yeah. Goodness gracious. They like ran a horse into the ground or something like that. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. It's, oh, it's possible. They bar the um, roads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, PETA got re- made sure that got removed from the service for sure. But that's Ferrari Scott. I mean, I know we, we make jokes about Black Hat and Luck and, and whatnot, but the man, this is the guy who made The Last of the Mohicans, Heat, The Insider, Ali, Collateral, Miami Vice, just some iconic 90s, uh, 2000s films. And I think we just got to believe in him. At least that's what I'm choosing. I'm choosing to believe in him. He's working with Adam Driver, who... I just like I feel like every time it comes up, it's like well, he's just like probably the best actor still working. Like he just probably is. Um, I can't really. It's kind of I've got I find it hard to to sort of deny that. Um, so I think what they're going to come up with, I'm sure, will be really special. Yeah, I mean, you would be a fool to doubt Michael Mann. I have to say, um, regardless of what you think about Black Hat, which did have a mixed reception. Um, he is an all-time great director, has made some all-time great films, and him taking on this epic biopic about Ferrari with, like you said, one of the, the best actors of our time, if not the best actor of our time, I mean, sign me up. This, this you know, is one that I am equally as excited for as you. So um, I hope this comes out this year um, because Michael Mann's getting up there in age, so um, I don't know how many f- more films he has left in the tank, but um, this sounds like it's going to be awesome. To clear the air, Maurizio Gucci. Ah, That's and I the other thing about Michael Mann is he's so meticulous in his technical um, prowess. You know, you 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 go just look about how he filmed certain scenes and, and heat and everything. So you know that the like racing in this movie is probably going to be insane. Be sick when it yeah, comes out. Gotta yeah. be dirty. All right, Scott, you're number four. All right, my number four is a film called Bottoms. Um, Scott, I have a comedy on my list. Could you imagine that? Um, I yeah, know I mean, that it, is. It, this is referencing that. Bossy Bottoms, right? That's what this is supposed to be referencing. Just I, I believe, um, or perhaps an even more sexual connotation uh, that, to it mm-hmm. than that. Uh, that would be sure. kind of my more guess, given the okay. the subject matter of this film, which I'll talk about in a second. But this is, is again, Scott, it's a second feature from a female director. Um, in in uh, the director in question this time is Emma Seligman. Um, sure. Of course, her debut film was back in 2020 as well. Yeah, 2021. Um, and that was Shiva Baby. Scott, mm-hmm. we were both big fans of that movie, I think. Um, yeah. Kind of was a little bit of a sleeper hit uh, as far as, you know, indie films go. I think gained more traction than you would have expected it um, to. And obviously, you know, it's it's two leads. Rachel Sennett and um, Molly Gordon have gone on to do other things. We just talked about Molly Gordon's last film uh, at Sundance. And then um, Rachel Sennett had a real scene-stealing role in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Um so Emma Seligman is back. I mean, uh, Shiva Baby, I think, won like the John Cassavetes Award or one of the special awards that they have at the Indie Spirits. So, um, you know, pr- pretty hyped up debut feature. 
um, for good reason, I think. And um, Emma Seligman is now returning with this movie, which is going to premiere at South by Southwest in just about a month. Um, and it is, again, starring Rachel Sennett alongside Io Edebiri, who, again, is having a bit of a moment. She was just in theater camp as well, we talked about. The Bear is probably her, um, what most people will know her from um, at this point. I think she was Emmy nominated, but um, she was very, very good in that show. Uh, probably the best performance. Um, but she and Rachel Sennett, it seems, and, and again, I'll just read the log line for you here, which says, two unpopular queer high school students start a fight club to have sex before graduation. So quite a description there of this film. Um, it's a teen sex but, comedy, Scott. The genre of the film, according to Wikipedia, is a teen sex comedy. It is, yes. Um, and Rachel Sennett and Iowa Beery are going to be playing, it seems, the two um, high school students referenced there. Um, some other people in the cast, Kaya Gerber, who's the, the model, who's uh, Austin Butler's girlfriend, I believe, in real life. Dagmara Dominchik, who I believe is on Succession. Um, mm -hmm. and and she, was in the, uh, she was in The Lost Daughter. And the Lost Letter, yes. And also Marshawn Lynch, the former Seattle Seahawks running back, is somehow going to show up in this film. So very excited to see that, Scott. This is going to be, like I said, a, a fun com fun teen comedy, I think, based on um, you know, what we saw with Shiva Baby. I think Emma Seligman's not only somebody who can write, you know, funny jokes, but also is an impressive director. I mean, the way that she created an atmosphere in Shiva Baby that really just sort of got under your skin um, was it was giving it an extra level of craft than you'd expect from just your average, you know, comedy. So I think she's a promising director. I think this cast is great. I think the premise sounds like it could be a lot of wild fun. Um, and we're going to get to see this one pretty soon, hopefully. So and MGM is just, is uh, is the yeah production company here. So um, they're going to so be putting Amazon that out. is. So Amazon is distributing that because Amazon owns MGM. That is true. So yeah, an Amazon film. Hopefully we see it sooner rather than later. Yeah, Prime Video. Um, yeah, that's Bottoms, my number four. Yeah, a fun little connection here is that that movie is produced by Elizabeth Banks, um, who's going to have quite a month. Uh, Director of Cocaine, Cocaine Bear, yeah. Director of Cocaine Bear, yeah. So uh, watch out. Elizabeth is rocketing up the cultural relevance chart. Her IMDb trending, I'm sure, is going up and up and up right now. All right, we're on to my number four most anticipated film of 2023, Scott. I'll admit when I was making my list, I thought I, I thought I would see this on your most anticipated list. Kind of surprised it ended up landing on mine. That film is Hitman, which is your favorite filmmaker's next film, Richard Linklater. This is, it might've ended up on my list because you don't think it's gonna come out this year. And if that's, I don't know, you are nodding, he's nodding his head. And yes. that's why he didn't include it on his list. So it is tentatively slated for 2023. I share your uh, maybe lack of confidence that it will definitely come out this year. But I think we've talked about this maybe on the podcast before. Uh, it's a film that stars Glenn Powell. It's also written, co-written by Glenn Powell along with Richard Linklater, which is an interesting point. And then in the supporting cast, you have uh, Adria Ariona who has actually been making a name for herself, I feel like, in random um, supporting roles in, in some sort of big TV-type projects. I think she was she is one of the sort of major supporting characters in Andor, the first season of Andor, last year. Um, not a TV project, but she was a supporting role in Morbius as well. Not that that is a credit to her 
filmography necessarily, but who knows? Maybe it's Morbin time with Richard Linklater. I'm not sure. But I think the combination of, of sort of those two and getting Glenn Powell almost taking a step up even from his sort of starring turns in some of Linklater's movies, but A, getting to be a standalone lead of a film like this. He sort of has this sort of movie star charisma. I think we talked a lot about on the awards episode in his, when we when we nominated him for Best Supporting Actor for Top Gun Maverick. I think we sort of acknowledged that he really has that charisma and star power. And when you listen to the description of this film, which is basically that a, um, a man named Gary Johnson, played by Glenn Powell, is a staff investigator who plays the role of a hitman to catch individuals ordering a hit. I think that is the kind of role that really does highlight some of the charisma and star power that Glenn Powell has. And so I think it's a good match. One of working with Richard Linklater, who he did, he has worked with before on things like everybody wants some, um, as well as Apollo 10 and a half, which he was a voice, which he featured in a voice role in, um, but also a, a sort of role that feels like it allows him to step up, be that sort of center of the spotlight um, in a bigger, and hopefully what will be a bigger film than he has in his other leading roles. And then, I, again, it sort of matches what I think a lot of his uh, charisma and best traits are. So really excited about this movie. We'll see if it comes out. Um, I'm happy to add it to our uh, top five most anticipated movies uh, that we've talked about in previous years next year when we read the list out at the beginning of the episode. Um, but that's that's Hitman. Yeah, you know, as you said, Scott, I am skeptical about whether this movie will come out. Obviously, I've been burned on this before. I had Apollo 10 and a half back in 2020, I guess it was. Of course, you know, things happened in 2020 after we did that episode, which contributed to why that movie did not come out. But, um, well, actually, I guess it would have been 2021, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, it was 2021 when yeah. you had it. Yeah, it was, anyway, your number well, one. it was your number one. Yeah, yeah same, same principle. But anyway, I'm still not convinced that the film came out. I mean, I saw it, but Netflix buried this thing so deep to where no one could find it after, you know, the first day or two that it was out. Um, which is a whole nother thing, but, um, yeah, you know, this one is probably likely to have a slightly higher profile again, given Glenn Powell, given the subject matter. Um, I will say if people hear that subject matter and and plot description and go in thinking this is going to be some sort of action thriller, I think (laughs) they're probably going to be disappointed because that's not really what, uh, Linklater does. Um, but it is interesting to see him operating in the crime world. He hasn't really done that very much. Um, you know, he did make the Newton boys, which is like a, a gangster film in the mid nineties, but not one of his more well regarded films, but he can do anything in my opinion. So I'm, I'm, you know, obviously couldn't be more excited for any Richard Linklater film. And as you said, you know, he is co-writing it. His best films are the ones that he writes. I don't think that's any secret or really there's much argument about that from, from anyone. And, um, yeah. you know, he has had this sort of collaboration before on the last two before trilogy films. Um, he did write those along with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. So um, he also knows how to collaborate with his actors, which is obviously what he's doing here. So very excited. Obviously would have been on my list. Probably number two um, of, of my current list if I had, you know, truly believed it was coming out. But, sure. hey, I, of course, I hope it comes out. Absolutely. All right, Scott, what's your number three? All right, Scott, uh, stop me if you're sensing a trend. My number three is another second film from a director. Um, and it is a film called I Saw the TV Glow. Um, and this is the sophomore feature from writer-director Jane Schoenbrunn, um, who 
had their directorial debut uh, back at the start of 2021 in a Sundance, 2022, sorry, in a Sundance film called uh, We're All Going to the World's Fair, which is a movie that I did watch at Sundance last year. I enjoyed, um, thought it was a promising debut, but um, a lot of people really loved this film. Um, and it, it ended up making quite a few top 10 lists um, by the end of the year. Scott, you had raised the point to me at one, at one point, I think if you were wondering if perhaps it might've been a different cut, which came out after Sundance, which is certainly possible. And I haven't gone back to the film after watching it at Sundance, but I did enjoy, enjoy it at Sundance for sure. It's a very sort of disorienting horror movie, uh, isolating horror movie about this teenage girl who gets involved with this online sort of creepy pasta game called uh, the world's fair. And, you know, it ends up going into spiraling downward into this whole nightmarish series of events sort of um very atmospheric yeah. film i think the atmosphere of it was the most effective part more so than sort of the story but um a really cool and interesting movie and it seems like that jane schoenbrunn is going to be following up from the themes of um of we're all going to the world's fair and sort of you know the digital age and the internet and everything with this film, the, the plot description that we know for I Saw the TV Glow is that it follows two teenagers who bond over their love of a scary television show, but then the show gets mysteriously canceled. Um, so again, some sort of digital age technology, pop culture type um, hybrid with horror. And, you know, particularly again, we have teenage characters, um, you know, it's speaking, trying to speak to sort of a, a youth audience, a particular group of people who kind of grew up in the 2000s and 2010s. So, um, you know, sort of in our wheelhouse, I guess um, we would say, Scott. But um, yeah, again, I, I think we're all going to the World's Fair was a really cool film. Obviously, they're going to be getting a higher budget now. Um, and the cast here includes Justice Smith, who is somebody that, you know, he's obviously been at the heart of a couple of different franchises and things just haven't really worked out for him there. It's cool that he's doing this film because most of what he's known for is franchise work. And in my, in my opinion, he's not been successful in the franchise films that he showed up in, like Detective Pikachu and the Jurassic World films, obviously. But he's going to be starring here. Danielle Deadweiler also going to be starring, a big name. Um, just came off a performance until that a lot of people felt should have been nominated for an Oscar. Other names in the cast, Helena Howard, who was in Josephine Decker's first film, uh, Madeline's Madeline. Uh, and further down the cast list, Scott, um, a few uh, musicians are actually going to be in this film. Lindsay Jordan, a.k.a. Uh, Snail Mail, is in this film. And I believe, even though I'm not seeing her on the cast list, I believe that at some point it was said that Phoebe Bridgers was going to be appearing yeah. in some role in this movie. Now, I would gotcha. suspect that those are going to be small roles. Um but, It'll probably be in the TV know. show, Scott, right? It'll just be like fun cameos in the TV show or something like that? That's that's certainly possible. But again, I think Jane Schoenbrunn obviously knows the audience that they're playing to here with um, you know, getting sure. people like um, Phoebe Bridgers and Lindsay Jordan to be in this film. So um, this could be a really cool sort of horror film, um, and it is going to be with A24. So obviously Jane Schoenbrunn has leveled up from um, We're All Going to the World's Fair. Yeah. I think I, I I'm convinced they probably did something to that to that final cut because you 
you saw this film what two years ago at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival. So it was this, 2021. Okay, it yeah, was. I yeah, remember it if I year. saw it, was, it in, in 21 or 22. But yeah, it was wide release last year. And yeah, late last year. So it's like a year and a half from when it yeah. debuted at Sundance to when it was released wide. Um, I mean, granted, it, it was barely released wide. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. So yeah. it didn't have a huge wide release. I just feel like to get to have that much time, it's not always the case that a movie gets recut, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was something a little bit different about it from the version you saw. Um, but yeah, I, I did not see that film. I wouldn't even necessarily say that this film is specifically up my alley, so I don't have too much to add. But if you see this and think that I would be into it, I'd, I would definitely see it. Yeah, I mean, I will definitely let you know, obviously. I mean, this was the Infinity Pool conversation where I was ready to go yeah. see Infinity Pool, and you texted me after the deck, nah, don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I stand by that. I don't think you would have gotten much out of that movie. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and considering you recommended the last Cronen Brandon Cronenberg movie to me, and I felt like I did enjoy it, and it was a good recommendation, I didn't really feel like I needed to challenge your recommendation on, on holding sure. off. <laughs> All right, uh, my number three... Scott, um, you know, I've, I've covered what uh, I've covered Ferrari, I've covered Hitman, going to expand a little bit um, away from, we'll say filmmakers that you've introduced me to, to filmmakers that maybe I introduced you to, if I if I'm allowed to say that, um, that is Ryusuke Hamaguchi's next film called Our, Apprenti Our Apprenticeship. This is another one of those films that, you know, maybe it'll come out this year. I have no idea because it is a it is sort of an international feature. It's being internationally produced with foreign filmmakers. I feel like the scheduling timeline of films outside of Hollywood are often quite different. I mean, we've heard so little about this film, Our Apprenticeship. That being said, Ryusuke Hamaguchi just fired off two movies a couple of years ago, sort of from the hip, it felt like. Um, granted, you know, there was COVID. He had been working a lot in COVID, and then it, the time was right. I just feel like there's so much goodwill and and almost heat around his films that if this film gets made and edited this year i think that it will be released in the festival season like i just feel a lot of confidence that if the film is ready and made then there won't be any holding it back just because of how much buzz drive my car received when it came out a couple of years ago academy award-winning film yeah yes the academy award-winning film drive my car which uh, you know, did pretty well for an in international feature at the box office in the grand scheme of things in a post-COVID world, and also did receive quite a bit of attention when it dropped on HBO Max several months later around the award season. So I think it obviously it's not, I'm not going to sit here and lie to our audience and say Drive My Car was a booming wide success uh, of, a, of a film, but I think it has a lot of, it has reputation around, and Ryusuke Hamaguchi now has reputation around him that I do think that, like I said, if the film can get made and, and put out, then it will be made and, the, and it will get released this year. The film is about um, follows a Japanese girl studying abroad at a theater school in Paris uh, where she gains new values and energy for her future through meeting people from different backgrounds. It frankly kind of feels a little bit about a, of a hybrid, if I'm being honest, of Drive My Car and um, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, uh, the former being about... Uh, learning in creative emotion and processing emotion through creative work, like uh, putting on Uncle Vanya, uh, which is the example of Drive My Car, and Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which is all about what you can learn through meeting with people, um, missed encounters, and then maybe meeting back with up again later in life. And I just think that, A, they're really interesting themes. Um, and 
Ryusuke Hamaguchi has just such a specific filmmaking style that appeals to me that I find so strong and powerful that I just sort of almost, I feel like if he, that he's able to apply it to almost any sort of narrative. Um, just by virtue of that, I feel like it makes it pretty effective. And there's not much more information about this. I can't tell, sit here and tell you that I'm super excited about the big name cast that he's put together for this film because um, I don't even know if there is casting announcements for this film right now, honestly. There may be, maybe I'm lying about that. But I do think overall, it's just really, uh, you know, his name and a short plot description that gets me excited. And it's ended up at number three for that reason alone, because like I said, those two movies from 2021, Drive My Car and Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy are, you know, two of the best movies of that year. And they both came out from him. Yeah, no, uh, I'm I'm fully on board with Hamaguchi as well. I loved Drive My Car. I loved Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. And the setup for this movie sounds right up my alley again. You know, it's yeah. just about somebody making connections. Um, that It seems totally. like it's going to be a vibe, vibes-heavy movie, perhaps. I mean, uh, you know, right now I'm watching on Netflix um, the Hirokazu Koreeda's newest show, which is called The Makanai. Um, which is about teenage um, girls in Japan who are staying in this sort of house for their training to be geishas. And one of them is training to be a, um, a so cook. Sick they basically ends up cooking now. for the house. Um, but no, what, what I was going to say is uh, I, I'm definitely, yeah, in this uh, subgenre now of like, Japanese like girls having life experiences through meeting people from different backgrounds type uh, sub sub genre. Oh, so I'm yeah. all on board. Um, but also, watch what everyone should watch the Maconite, even if you're not, you know, it's not something that you would necessarily normally watch. It's one of the most charming things that I've watched in quite a while. I have two episodes left and I do not want to finish it because it's so good. I want there to be more. Yeah, that's the. That's the power of cinema, I guess. Before you know it, Scott, you'll be watching K-dramas. Uh, I, I don't think so. I think I would have to stop watching movies altogether if I was going to go all the <laughs> way down true. that alley, which uh, definitely not interested in doing that. But um, I'll give it time. All right, you're number two. All right, number two, Scott, is a, the film with the immortal title Night Bitch. Um, this is not a second film from a director, so we are breaking the streak here. Um, but it is a film from one of my favorite directors. Again, when I'm making these lists, I think I'm drawn most to the director more than anything as far as the films uh, you know, that I'm looking forward to in a given year. Uh, that's probably been evident on my list thus far. Um, but the director in question here is Marielle Heller, um, who most recently made the... Uh, Mr. Rogers' biodrama, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which I thought was so much more interesting than it could have been. Uh, before that, she made um, Can You Ever Forgive Me and The Diary of a Teenage Girl. So very, very talented filmmaker, um, brings a fresh perspective to everything that she's done, in my opinion. This is going to be, it seems, maybe a little bit more of a comedy or a sort of horror comedy, which is obviously different from the films that she's made before. Um, but it's about a stay-at-home mom who uh, begins to feel that she might be turning into a dog, hence the title uh, Night Bitch. Um, the single mom in question here, the stay-at-home mom in question here, is played by Amy Adams, um, who it has been, you know, much conversation there's been much conversation that she's had one of the worst runs 
of any actor uh, in the last five years in, in quite a while um, with being in movies like Dear Evan Hansen and Vice and uh, The Woman in the Window, just some of the true stinkers of the last five years. She has made the rounds, really. Hillbilly Elegy, she also had a pretty awful performance in that. Um, but maybe this is a comeback for her, Scott. Certainly, I have a lot more confidence in this film being good than in most of the films that she's been in recently. Um, it's from an established director who I think most people would say has not made a bad film yet. Um, and yeah, I, I think this is going to allow her to flex her muscles and be the actress that we know she can be, obviously, in films like The Master and Arrival and you know her Oscar-nominated roles. But um, yeah. Uh, interested in this for a lot of reasons. Marielle Heller, most of all, doing something a little different for her and maybe a little bit of an Amy Adams comeback story. Not too many other big names in the cast. Scoot McNary, of course, veteran character actor, also going to show up. And Mary Holland, mostly known for her comedic work. So again, so also strengthening the idea that this is probably going to have some comedic elements to it. Um, but interesting title, interesting premise, interesting everything. Um when we're talking about Night Bitch. So yeah, very, very excited for this one. Yeah, if this hadn't made your list, I think it almost certainly would have made mine. Um, Mariel Heller, I really loved Can You Ever Forgive Me? I think it's probably one of the more underrated films from 2018. And although you liked A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood more than I did, I still thought, to your point, it was a more interesting film. The fact that what she did with it made it more interesting than it had any right to be probably. Um, especially coming off the heels of a, a pretty good documentary, Will You Be My Will You Be My Neighbor? Um, the previous year. It almost felt like, you know, when you saw that announcement, it's like, why is this movie even being made? Like they just made a documentary last year about Fred Rogers. Feels like they're sort of gliding off of the media attention of just the documentary to put out a narrative feature. But of course the film had Fred Rogers in it, but it wasn't really about Fred Rogers, and I think that's what made it strong yeah i mean not to go not to relitigate the movie but it does it feels like you know everyone thinks oh the most faithful way to make a biopic right is to just do the wikipedia entry biopic in particular we've seen this a lot with um musical biopics recently but with with something like a beautiful day in the neighborhood i think she was able to show that you can have a much better tribute to the person in question yeah by making a film that is not necessarily the most factually accurate film about their life, but which is accurate to the spirit and emotions of how that person shows the lived. impact shows the yes. impact of, of their life. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree. Um, and so taking that talent and uh, get, putting Amy Adams in the mix. I mean, Scott, every, every night before I go to bed, I pray to God that Amy Adams can make a good movie again. Um, honestly, I think this is the one Scott. I hope so. I mean, I really do, because it's been really depressing that to be holding Amy Adams season tickets recently. I'll say that much. Um, but here we are. Amy Adams fans may be about to feast again. Jennifer Lawrence semi-delivered on that last year. I mean, it wasn't Cosby wasn't a five-star film, but it was better than some of her previous Good albums. Yeah. All right. That's Night Night Bitch, one we're both excited for. Number two, my number two, Scott, hopefully another one we're both excited for. That is Christopher Nolan's next film. Normally he would he would have the number one spot reserved for him in any other year this year. Maybe our listeners can guess what's going to be my number one. But this year he's at number two. His film is Oppenheimer. Scott, we've talked about this on the podcast about probably 30 times. Um, so I don't know 
really how much more <clears throat> there is to say, but it is him directing, writing. He has his normal cinematographer at this point, Hoyte von Hoytema. Um, he has his editor. He has Ludwig Gorenson doing the score again. He's got the whole crew back um, at this point. I think he's been running with this specific outfit definitely since Tenet. I mean, he definitely did Tenet with them. I can't, I don't think, I, I think Ludwig Gorenson was new for Tenet. I don't think he did Dunkirk. Yeah, because Zimmer did. Because Zimmer yeah, did. Zimmer, Zimmer yeah. did Dunkirk. All but he has basically the entirely same creative crew. And it's going to be, speaking of biopics, Scott, uh, is going to be a biopic about the, a specific period in the life of Robert J. Oppenheimer, or sorry, J. Robert Oppenheimer, um, who was at, during the, in the movie, the director of the Los Alamos laboratory during the Manhattan Project. And the film talk really explores his contributions that led to the creation of the atomic bomb. You know, I was a little bit surprised when this film was announced as his next project. I mean, clearly he has a fixation or interest um, in World War II. I mean, obviously making a film like Dunkirk shows that he's very interested being British, you know, maybe not totally surprising. It's the last, you know, major war that, that Great Britain fought in. And, but it's interesting to see him pivot towards the, almost the, an American perspective of the war um, and the atomic bomb. And obviously that was such a critical part of the U.S. in World War II. But he does have <clears throat> some regulars back in the cast as well. He has Cillian Murphy playing Oppenheimer, who he's worked with on numerous projects in the past. He has Emily Blunt, who I don't think he's worked with before playing Oppenheimer's wife, uh, Kitty Oppenheimer. Uh, but the supporting cast is robust. Again, see 30 other episodes where we reported on someone new being added to this cast, but includes people like Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Rami Malek, um, Kenneth Branagh, I believe, is supposed to feature Dane DeHaan, um, Alden Ehrenreich, Matthew Modine, Jack Quaid, Davis Dasmalchian. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Um, huge cast huge production scott i think he like might literally have made an atomic bomb and blown it up in the desert for this film i'm not entirely there sure there have been some you reports of that yeah <laughs> you can't convince me he didn't make a real atomic bomb for this movie and blow it up um obviously i'm joking but he did do some crazy explosions out in the desert um in like new mexico and or arizona or somewhere for this for this movie so there are very practical effects mixed in with whatever cg he's going to be doing He's always interested in the theme of time. We know this. It's in every single one of his movies. In some respect, it feels like. Very curious if it plays a role. In the trailers, obviously, it's really about this sort of ticking clock about time running out for the project. It, it seems like that might be one angle. I'm, I'm curious if, if more is made of that in the film because it is something that's always on his mind, it seems like, in some way, whether it's manipulating time, whether it's time passing things by, there's almost always an angle, so I'm curious how it comes into play in this film. And it's a Chris Nolan movie, guy. It literally does not matter what the film is about. I'm excited for it. Yeah, and just like we're talking about with Marielle Heller, even though this is ostensibly a biopic, I have full faith in Christopher Nolan to do something very different from your uh, standard run-of-the-mill biopic. Um, you know, you mentioned it, but his other World War II film, Dunkirk, um, is was not your traditional war film um and you know is one of his best films in my humble opinion so you, you um, never see the enemy in in the film it's true um so yes um you know it, it's very exciting anytime he makes a film it's an event um like few other directors can can muster um and it's going to be an epic experience 
there's really not any of his films that I dislike other than following. I'm not that crazy about. He he has an incredibly high hit rate for me. For sure. All right, Scott, that's my number two. Can you can you do the compliment to Oppenheimer? Can you can you do be the the yeah. Barb? Can you fulfill the Barbenheimer promise of 2023? Yeah, I certainly will. You know, Oppenheimer coming out July 21st, and as we've talked about before. There is another massive film that is coming out on July 21st. I think at first we talked about it like, oh, there's no way this is actually going to stay. But they're it holding totally strong is. right now. Yeah. They're both holding strong like on it. July 21st. Um, maybe they're really trying to lean in and roll with this whole, like, people are going to do a double feature or whatever. Or or maybe maybe not because the target audiences are maybe was, slightly that's different. That's exactly yeah. what I was so say. Yeah. You have something for, for everyone maybe this weekend. But yeah, we are definitely family. in the in yeah. the middle of the target audience. We are in the center of the Venn diagram for yes. what is going on on July 21st. One film being released is Oppenheimer, as Scott mentioned. The other is, of course, my number one, Barbie, directed by Greta Gerwig. Um, yeah, this is a film we've been hearing about for quite a while now. I think we already knew maybe when Little Women was released that this was going to be her next film. Um, but it, you know, it has been quite a while in the making. There have been rumors about, oh, the script is incredible or whatever. I don't know if I believe any of these things. There was a test screening. I don't know if you saw this. There was a test screening of this movie like last week. The reports from the people who were at the test screening were actually hilarious because you can just tell that somebody had written these out beforehand and said, all right, we're going to show you like this review of the movie. Now, do you agree with this? And the per the people were just like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. And so then they've attributed it in the, in the article to like, oh, this is what the person said coming out of the theater. But it's like oh, this incredibly God. eloquent, like it sounds like you're reading one of David Ehrlich's reviews or something. There's yeah. no way it was something that somebody just said. The test screening the was actually just Peter Drury and they asked him to commentate. Yeah. The film. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, there's a lot of good rumors about this film, but it's it's, you know, fascinating for a lot of reasons. I mean, Greta Gerwig um, is one of, you know, my people when it comes to movies, probably only Richard Linklater, like I put in higher esteem at this point. Um, but, you know, her film, her directorial efforts, Lady Bird and Little Women, two of my all time favorite films, her acting work, you know, which also includes Francis Ha, Mistress America, 20th Century Women, others of my favorite films. Um, she is, you know, beyond reproach to me. Um, and this is, you know, an interesting movie for her to be taking on. Obviously, it is going to be focusing on the Mattel toy, Barbie. It's going to be played by Margot Robbie in the film alongside Ryan Gosling as Ken. Um, so, Great casting there. Again, I love Ryan Gosling in comedic roles in particular. So I think he's really going to be able to sink his teeth into this role as Ken. Margot Robbie needs a little bit of a bounce back after 2022 was pretty weak for her, um, to say the least. Um, I think this is the perfect way to get it. I think she's perfect casting for Barbie. Um, and the real fascination, Scott, I think is just going to be with what Greta Gerwig can do with, with Barbie, right? Um, because obviously we saw what she can do when she's working with existing IP in Little Women, right? She took on something that had been adapted seven, eight, nine times before and made something completely different um, than any of the other adaptations. Managed to make it fresh, managed to make it modern, um, and managed to make, you know, a cl instant classic of a film. Um, and 
This feels like even a, a step beyond that, though, because now you're working with this huge, you know, global brand um, in Barbie. And there may be a certain expectation as to what this is going to be. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a studio film. It's a studio comedy, um, which is a genre that is um, very low on the list of the things that I will line up at the theater for. But I, you know, I can't wait to see what Greta Gerwig can do with this property in, you know, a, a big studio environment. You know, I think this movie, to be honest with you, I think it's going to do quite well already. The set photos and everything have really sort of, you know, captured the public eye, just the, the photos from the set of the film. So I, I would not be surprised if this movie makes a lot of money. I just wonder what kind of a film it is going to turn out to be because, um, you know, there are going to be more constraints in theory placed on her than ever. Um, is she still going to be able to, to make she and Noah Baumbach, who obviously is co-writing it with her, still going to be able to make a 100% authentic film that she wants to make uh, because her co her comedic stylings um, that she, again, has shown off at, at writing previous films are not necessarily uh, in sync with what is the comedic stylings of, you know, big studio comedies today. Um, so I mean, she, going... to be fair, she she made a big studio movie in Little Women. It was it was made by Sony. It yes, was a big studio. That so. is true. I guess I'm mainly talking about the comedy aspect of this. Um, you know, it gives it a bit of a different angle. And again, the fact that Barbie is even a level up in terms of the property that she's working with from Little Women. But um, yeah, this is going to be one of the big event movies of the summer. I have full faith in Greta Gerwig. Um, that she's going to do something special and unique with, you know, a big franchise like this, a potential franchise like this. Um, but there is like that small twinge of me that just wonders what is, you know, what's going to happen because, you know, again, somebody like Chloe Zhao, for example, this is an example that I always use, I feel like nowadays, but you never would have thought that she was someone who would kind of compromise her, you know, ideology as a filmmaker to make a big, you know, tentpole property film. But I do feel like that's kind of what happened with Eternals. Um, and I, you know, I feel that way about Greta Gerwig too. So I really hope that that's not what happens with Barbie. But I just, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think she's going to be able, they're going to let her cook. And I think the result is going to be something as spectacular as her last two films. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know how, um, sacred Mattel treats adaptations of their IP. Obviously Marvel is yeah. a completely different beast in terms of full creative control, never really line with the filmmakers who are making the movies. I don't, I'm curious. I think it'll be clear. Maybe, maybe it won't be. I don't know. I think we'll understand exactly how much creative license and control they gave her based on what we get. Um, I don't really know why you hired Greta Gerwig to make a movie if you don't give her full creative control. Like the fact that she and Bombach both writing the film. I think that's actually what we knew before Little Women came out. I don't think we knew that she was directing the movie until several years later. Just originally she was she was she and Bombach were going to write the film. Right. And I think she came on to direct a little bit a little bit further down the road. And I think that given that I don't think that you really given the sort of delay in those two things, I'd be surprised if Mattel didn't hire her because they did buy into her vision for what the film would be in the screenplay. 
Um, I mean, I'm not saying that they had a, a treatment, like a full draft of the script done. I mean, I assume they probably did, but I don't know by the time they hired her. And I think that, you know, I'm sure there's, there's obviously a creative process and going back and forth with the studio, but I feel like she wouldn't have signed up for, to direct if they were going to like neuter the draft of the script that she Bombach had written. Could be wrong. No idea. You're preaching, you're preaching to the choir here. That's also what I'm telling myself every night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, look, here's what I'll say is that I hope that um, there is a more similarity to the director, uh, the creative license that the director of my number one uh, most anticipated film got with his uh, IP adaptation um, than what than than with Marvel, because my number one, Scott, is Dune Part Two. Maybe anyone who remembers this film is coming out this year probably could guess that that was going to be my number one film. It is Denny Villeneuve's follow up to his Dune part one back in 2021. It was my number one movie of the year that year. It was probably my most anticipated film uh, also of 2021. If, if yes, it was, I'm just confirming that that was the case. Um, ironically, my number two most anticipated film back in 2021 was Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. So be getting that film this year. That's not that nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, Denis Villeneuve getting to make part two of this work. You know, there was obviously a lot of talk back in 2021 when this film released and it did release day and date on HBO Max's platform. It was during that window of time where they were releasing all of their studio slate onto the, onto HBO Max in the same days in theaters. Obviously there was a lot of talk around did the, was the film successful enough to, to justify a sequel? Cause they didn't shoot the films back to back because it was going to be just too arduous of a process for filming um, and editing and special effects, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they split the films up and Luckily, it was deemed successful enough, at least under the old Warner Brothers regime, that it it got its sequel. We get we're getting part two. Obviously, there's still a lot of talk around whether or not there would be a part three to adopt or to adapt the Dune Messiah novel, which is more of a direct sequel to Dune than any of the other books in the in the franchise are. I'm not going to think too much about that. I think it would be cool, but the fact that we're getting part two, the fact that Denis Villeneuve really does seem to have received full creative control to adapt this in a way that is sort of able to do the impossible. Um, everyone talked about how the novel's pretty unadaptable and there's such smart choices made in the adaptation to understand the elements that are unadaptable and not drop them completely, but not make them the focus and focus on the parts that are adaptable and that do translate better to the screen. When you com combine that with a creative vision that he and um, Hans Zimmer uh, were able to sort of combine with in the sound and then obviously the visual department as well, the, the film is just a, a masterpiece and I'm really not expecting, frankly, any anything less in, in this outing. It, Scott, if this film doesn't live up to the success of number one, I think it would be a disappointment. I'll, I'll say it like it's a super high bar, but I think it would be a disappointment if it doesn't live up to that quality standard. You have Greg Greg Fraser returning to do the cinematography. Like everyone's back. It's it's Villeneuve's vision. And he seems to have such a passion, love, and understanding of the material where it really works. On the cast side, you have Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya, all returning to the cast. Zendaya, I think it's fair to say, will have probably the the size of the role that they advertised her having in part one. She'll actually have that in part two. I think people who might feel a bit, a bit burned by the marketing of the film and how much Zendaya was in the marketing materials. I think they should be relieved that she'll probably be featured in this one more. 
Stellan Skarsgård returning as sort of the villain, Baron Harkonnen. Dave Bautista, who featured briefly in the first film, will also be returning. Um, the cast list is, is pretty long and extensive. Most people are back. Um, obviously, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, if they survived the first film, they'll be returning in the second film, is what I'll say. New actors, Scott, this is a cheap joke to make, but the Austin Butler doing Elvis voice, um, well, it'll be interesting to see if if the his version of Fade Rautha um, is just Elvis in outer space, which would just be the craziest thing imaginable. Well, I believe his agent has come out and said he is not doing the. I, I actually, I actually think it's Dave Bautista who came out and said that in his in his oh, first tour okay. from Knock at the Cabin, um, which I'm sure is true. It'd be nuts if he were doing yeah. that. But it's such a silly, <laughs> such a silly bit that he's been doing on the on the press tour, like the award circuit. Um, Christopher Walken is also coming. Will also be featuring in the film as the Emperor. Um, shot him the fourth. Scott, you say it's silly. Is it silly if he wins the Oscar for Best Actor? Because that I mean, is, it is a possibility. Silly. It is silly, Scott. It's just silly that he won an Oscar for doing that, too. It, both things are silly. Um, yeah, both things are Florence, good. Yeah, Florence Pugh also joining the cast as um, Christopher Walken's daughter, I think, daughter, granddaughter, I don't know, uh, Princess Irulan. Uh, I, I, there were a lot of jokes, I feel like, at the time, maybe not even jokes, maybe very serious um, fan casting of Annie Taylor-Joy. And very, I found this whole thing very funny that then Florence Pugh was then cast in the role. Like the two people, the two like young female actresses that that Scott here adores the most are the ones people were talking about for this role, and one of them got it. Um, very very cool stuff for for your big moment. Um, other than that, like I'm I'm sure there's plenty of other new cast members, but those are sort of the big new highlights. What is there to say? I mean, it, it just sort of you talk about things that are just firmly in your wheelhouse. Denis Villeneuve is probably my favorite filmmaker except for Christopher Nolan. You talked about Greta Gerwig is number two only to Richard Linklater. Villeneuve is my number two only to Christopher Nolan. Um, but the fact that he's being combined with this property, with this, these creative talents like Greg Frazier, Hans Zimmer, what they were able to achieve in the first part of the franchise, and what I can only assume they're going to continue to do in the second part, I have no reason to doubt. There's a small chance maybe this this, this film gets pushed out into a future year. I think it's a small chance. I think it's a very small chance. I think it probably will happen. seems like filming is mostly complete and it's a matter of just getting the post-production done at this point. But um, Scott, we're going to be feasting on blockbusters this year. I'm pretty confident between this, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, Killers of the Flower Moon is, it seems like it's going to end up being a blockbuster as well. It's coming out in summer. Just incredible stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously I came into Dune, the original film with a different perspective from you having not knowing anything about it and yet yeah. i think i was equally wowed um it was my number 11 film from that year i thought it was incredible and certainly one of the best blockbusters in recent years and i don't know what happens next i ha again i haven't read the books and when you know you get to the end of dune part one and zendaya is saying this is only the beginning i'm like hell yeah brother like let's roll the second movie right now like as the credits hit so um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for this as sure. well. Like you said, I do think it's going to be a great year for blockbusters. It was last year in some ways. Um, and I, I think it's, it's lined up to be another Definitely. one this year. So, uh, this, this one is, you know, is certainly high on the list with, with Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. I mean, you think X, X superhero films last year, blockbusters were pretty good and, you know, Spider-Man with the with the inclusion of Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse this year, if you count that as a superhero blockbuster film, 
I think that maybe we'll be feasting in both departments in some respects. Before we conclude, Scott, I do have to say I'm shocked that you did not have a film called How Do You Live on your list, which is Hayao Miyazaki's um, coming out of retirement. Yeah. This film. Yeah. We, and we do even have like it is it even has a date on it. I believe sometime this summer is going to be released. Yeah. But... Look, it does, Scott. This is the, this is the thing with you. This is this is like the sword that I fall on as I was making this list is that I. I hope that it does come out. And maybe there's a stronger chance of this coming out than even some of the other things I included on my list. I just don't know if I believe it's actually going to come out this year. That's the thing. I should have just, I mean, you're right. I should have included this anyway. I should have said Ferrari. Who cares about that? Kick that off my list and put um, how do I live on this? Because I'm absolutely like, it's probably my number three, maybe even in contention with something like Oppenheimer for a number two spot for me. I think Miyazaki is essentially undefeated. In, and that's just such an, and not even understand. Like I think, I mean, I haven't. I guess there's one movie of his that I haven't seen, but I just I don't think that he misses ever. And his most recent film, the film, his previous retirement film, The Wind Rises, I revisited that at the end of last year. Insane film, just in, so like, good. insanely so good, good movie. Um, talk about biopics, Scott. That's a biopic. Yeah, yeah. no joke. I got to start yeah, whipping I, that one out when people ask me about biopics. And I'm very excited um, for this one as well, but it was one that I kind of like left for you because I know Miyazaki's one of your guys. So um, yeah. extra shout out there and for that. Maybe movie, I made a mistake. We, yeah. we hope comes out. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't meant to be like shame on you for not putting it on. Oh, there. I was oh no, just that's fine. Surprise when I didn't see yeah. it show up. Wait, can we just do a deal with the devil here? Like I'll give you Hitman and I'll put. I'll yeah, put, I'll uh... take Hitman. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Why do you live there? And, yeah. Yeah. How do you live? Yeah, I think I think that's that's live? a fair deal. All right. Cl pleasure doing business with you. Yeah, there you go. We came to the table. The year of deals is back. We're making them here live on the podcast. And I think that will do it for our most anticipated films of 2023. Any parting thoughts you'd like to leave us with today? It's going to be a great year, Scott. I'm I'm looking forward to it. We have big movies coming up um you know very soon in fact you know a couple of the movies that we talked about will be coming out very soon um and that's not even including you know the, the movies we talked about tonight are not even including the movies we don't know about that are just going to randomly pop up and will probably end up being some of our favorite films of the year that seems to always happen happened just a couple yeah. years ago with something like red rocket or you know you mentioned the hamaguchi films earlier as well for, sure. for both of us but especially for you yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, Tar. Did you know you had Tar on your list? I guess last year, didn't you? I had it as an honorable mention. I did. Yeah. Okay, so we can't call Tar that. I guess. Okay, After Sun. There you go. There's the there's the example from from last year. There you year. go. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, that's that's the most exciting part is that we can make these lists. We can make these lists 20, 30 movies long, and the great news is that we're going to be surprised by something that we didn't know about the, when when the end of the year rolls around. The joy of the movies, baby. There you Absolutely. Where can you people find you on the socials, Scott? I am at Scarby Dent. And that can be found at Shelton2013 on the socials as well. Don't forget to also check out our podcast Patreon at www.patreon.com slash pods. If you can support us over there, we'd appreciate it. But if not, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcast. Where we'd love it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared all that jazz so that we can continue to reach a broader audience. And finally, we really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us chat about all the movies we're looking forward to in 2023. We're reviewing a 2023 movie 
next week. In fact, it's when you're listening to this, it's already out. It's Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, the first MCU film of the year. Jonathan Majors being introduced as the next big bad. We hope you'll join us for that next week. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time.